What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Our Americana is an independent podcast produced and hosted by me, Josh Hallmark, and sponsored by listeners like you. Listener sponsorships are what keep the wheels turning at Our Americana. And we need more help to cover hosting fees, production costs, and more. If every listener sponsored Our Americana with just $1 per episode, we can keep the podcast going indefinitely. You can sponsor Our Americana through a one-time donation at PayPal. Think of it like a tip cup. Or you can sponsor the podcast on a per-episode basis at Patreon. Kind of like a subscription for the content you love. To find out more about how you can sponsor Our Americana, go to ouramericanapodcast.com Additional episode content is available at ouramericanapodcast.com including guest photos and bios, images of the towns featured, and blogs that chronicle the creation of each episode. For even more content, follow Our Americana on social media like Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Snapchat, Periscope, and List. Thank you and enjoy the episode. small towns across the country and get to know the people who call them home. Join us as we head to some of our most unique and charming communities and talk to the locals about their lives, their histories, their relationships, and the events that forever change them. Together we'll discover how a community comes together and how it adapts and evolves when faced with the unexpected, the controversial, bizarre, and the life-changing moments. I'm Josh Hallmark, and this is Our Americana. Welcome to season two of Our Americana. Last season, we talked a lot about what makes a place charming, about the desire to shop small and local, about how we crave community, about what exactly it is that creates community. Well, Berkshire County may just change the way you think about those ideas. This past weekend, we headed up to the Berkshires to celebrate my birthday. Since arriving in New York, the Berkshires have actually become the place where I find peace when I've had enough of the city. About a month ago, I found this insane estate nestled in a private valley of the foothills of those foothills. The house was really beautiful, 
It had this gorgeous private pond and rolling hills. The owner was really responsive. And so we paid for the weekend, up front, in full. And then, all communication ceased. About a week and a half ago, I started to panic. That's when I googled the property owner, which is how I found out he'd just gotten out of prison. For fraud. More on that later. I found that the way most people talk about what makes a community charming is comparing it to Norman Rockwell. Well, Berkshire County is so idyllic, so pastoral, so charming, that it's actually where Norman Rockwell was based. It's the inspiration for a lot of his early works. It's home to the Norman Rockwell Museum. And at one point over the weekend, we actually used a Norman Rockwell painting to find a restaurant. The Southern Berkshires are a rural area about two and a half hours from New York and two and a half hours from Boston. It ends up being sort of a, a weekend getaway for a lot of people from the city. The population grows in the summer and on the weekends. There's a lot of really good food to eat. There's a lot of great restaurants. Prairie Whale in Great Barrington, Cafe Adam in Great Barrington, John Andrews in South Egremont. All of those are great, really focused on farm-to-table food. And it's a fun social scene. You know, hiking Monument Mountain, you know, getting on the Appalachian Trail for a little while, or going to the river. You could go to the Norman Rockwell Museum. Well, Great Barrington is along the Housatonic River, which can, goes through all of Berkshire County. We call it the market town of the Southern Berkshires because there are lots of smaller towns around it. And um, if you're saying, I'm going into town, you mean you're going to Great Barrington. What makes Berkshire County so interesting, though, is how its community came together to support small businesses and local farms in a way that we've never really seen on this show before, and how that collaboration became ground zero for the farm-to-table movement. I grew up here uh, from the time I was five, because my parents moved up from Brooklyn when I was little, and um, my dad wanted to be a sheep farmer, and so we moved to the Berkshires. And I went away to college and worked in the city in New York and abroad. And then I ended up coming back to work on Berkshires, the local currency program. This is Alice Maggio. She's the local currency program director at the Schumacher Center for New Economics, where she's further developing Berkshire County's own local currency, Berkshires. Well, Berkshires um, is a, a local currency. It's cash money that you can spend only in this area and it's now 10 years old and each denomination looks different so there are, each one has a different color um, and a different hero on the front and a different piece of artwork on the back uh, but they have lots of elements that tie them together and they celebrate local heroes people who have had an impact here in the Berkshires or um, have had an impact in the, in the larger world in different areas, including the economy and agriculture, sociology and um, social justice work, literature and culture. So we have W.E.B. Du Bois on the five, and we have a Stockbridge Mohican on the one, we have Robin Van En on the 10. She's the woman who started the first community-supported agriculture farm in the country. And it was right here in the Berkshires. 
and uh, we have Herman Melville on the 20 and Norman Rockwell on the 50. So all of those people have strong connections with the Berkshires, and we like to celebrate them to remind ourselves and remind people who are spending Berkshires of the the great things that have come out of here and the innovations that have come out of the Berkshires. And what was kind of the goal for creating the Berkshires? Well, there's there are many elements to uh, why we created Berkshires here. The main one is to support the local economy and to um, serve as an educational tool to teach people about why why having a local economy and a diverse system of local businesses is important and why you want to support those businesses with your money, with your spending power. So that's kind of the number one reason. We wanted to create something that would be tangible, beautiful, compelling, and a tool to support locally owned businesses here in the Berkshires. There are lots of other elements to it. Like I was saying, we, we celebrate our landscape and our heroes and artwork that, have, that has come out of the Berkshires. We celebrate all those things on the bills. So it's a way of also um, showing your pride in the Berkshires and um, thinking about the things that you like about this place. So it has a strong element of connecting us to place. Um, but the fundamental purpose is economic and to have a strong economic tool that people can use to create a stronger local economy here. Well, and I imagine like many great ideas, putting this into action wasn't, wasn't necessarily easy. Could you tell me a little bit about how, you know, the idea became a currency, I guess, both literally and culturally? Well, Berkshire's kind of grew out of many different experiments here in the Berkshires. So they have a lot of different precursors that took different forms. One of them was called SHARE, which would, it was a microcredit program in the 1980s. And it was a collateralized loan program that worked with local banks to make loans that those banks wouldn't otherwise make because the entrepreneur had no credit history or their product was completely unknown, or for some reason they couldn't get a bank loan. But the community saw their application and said, oh, this is, a, this is the business that we want to support and we want to invest in. So the community made collateralization agreements with the banks saying that we'll put up our money, our savings. So there were members of SHARE, the, the organization SHARE. They put up their savings as collateral for these loans, and then the banks were willing to make them. And these were, they made about 25 loans over the course of eight years, and all of them were 100% successful and paid back, um, which is a really astonishing percentage of success for a microcredit program. But that was a part of this longer work of educating people about investing in your local economy and finding ways to support the businesses around you that you want to see in your economy. So that was one kind of precursor to Berkshires, and that's where the name Share comes into play in, in our name. So there was a deli owner in Great Barrington named Frank Tutoriello, and he issued his own currency when he needed some money to move to a new location. He couldn't get a bank loan uh, for multiple reasons, but everybody loved his business and wanted to see him be able to renovate his new space and move in because he was losing his lease on his old space. So he issued his own, his own currency called deli dollars. 
and people could buy deli dollars before the move, $8 would get you 10 deli dollars. He then took that currency that he had in hand and renovated his space, moved into the new space. And then once he was moved in, people could redeem their deli dollars at face value. So basically they bought a 10 deli dollar note for only $8. They could then redeem it once he moved into his new space and opened it up again. And then he wrote his own loan repayment plan because those deli dollars would only become redeemable after certain dates. So he would write valid after dates on the deli dollars and he would make it so that they weren't all coming in at the same time uh, and that they were spaced out and there were more coming in on busy in the busy season and fewer coming in in the slow season. So basically he, he was repaying his loan in ham and cheese sandwiches when he wanted to, when it worked for his business. So that got a lot of attention and it really got a lot of people involved throughout Great Barrington because everybody loved Frank and loved the deli. So they all got involved and deli dollars became actually a currency beyond just the deli because people were putting them into the collection plate at church because they knew Pastor Van liked to eat at the deli. People were spending them at the White Knight Records because they knew that the guy who owned it loved eating at the deli. So it actually kind of became its own currency, even though it was supposed to be between just the customer and the deli. So the um, share program and then deli dollars kind of engendered all these different experiments. And that was in our bones kind of before Berkshire's actually got launched in 2006. And so there was already a, a pretty strong awareness of how a local currency and how an alternative currency could be used to support our local businesses. And that helped us get going with Berkshire's. It's so cool. On the show, you know, we talk a lot about community and how there's kind of this drive, A, to shop local, but, you know, people are leaving big cities because they have more of a hunger to participate in their community in a more significant way and at that local level. And I feel like this really is the paragon of that because it's it's the community working together to improve the community, but in a way that really is bigger than just being aware of one another. Yeah, it's trying to take back an economic tool that we don't think about very much because usually we just take it for granted. We use our car- credit cards, our debit cards, we use U.S. currency, and uh, we don't think about how that money gets issued, who's issuing it, for what purposes. But really, if you think about it, money is a tool that we create. And so if we want to create a tool that's going to do the things we want it to do, then we can design our own currency. Um, and it, and it's important to also know that Berkshire's is issued by a nonprofit organization that has open membership to anybody who lives in the Berkshires and who wants to pay 25 Berkshires or $25 a year. So you can become a member of Berkshires Inc. And then you can vote or you can run to be on the board. And then you can make decisions about our local currency. So it's a pretty cool idea to have a local nonprofit currency issuer. And that's something that goes back to the way that we used to have, we used to issue currencies in this country in the 1800s and early 1900s before the Federal Reserve Act, we had a system of a diverse, a diverse system of currencies in the country where 
commercial banks would issue their own banknotes. And that's why we call them banknotes sometimes, because banks would issue their own currencies and they would be doing it on the local level. They were doing it in a for-profit model and we'd like to do it in a nonprofit model that has open membership and democratic structure. But they were making decisions based on what they could. So a bank or the bankers who were deciding when to issue currency, they were making decisions based on what they could see in their local community. So based on their own experiences, um, their own knowledge of the markets, the entrepreneurs, the character of the entrepreneur that was applying to them, they could decide when to put more money out into the economy and when to hold back. So that's kind of what is the inspiration for Berkshire's. Um, we want to have a tool that's more responsive to local conditions and also celebrates the kind of businesses that we want to celebrate. You know, another thing we talk a lot about, because I end up either intentionally or accidentally focusing on towns that are kind of tourism towns, and there's mm-hmm. always this strange dichotomy of the working class people who live in that town kind of hosting the wealthy people traveling from the cities, you know, in the area. Yeah. And I imagine there's a sense of camaraderie in a town like like Great Barrington or Stockbridge that amongst all these tourists, when someone comes in and uses their Berkshires, that they're a part of the community. Yeah, it's pretty inclusive, and it's something that you can have in your hand, and then you become part of the local economy. So it could be for tourists to say, oh, wow, this is the coolest place because they actually have their own currency. Or it can be for locals to say, look, this is our secret local currency that is going to stay here and support the people who live here. So it kind of can go all different directions, and that's the way we like it. I think that it's also interesting that you bring up all these these small, small towns that you profile, how they're often tourist towns. And I wonder if it's because, in the case of uh, Great Barrington, it might be that people are looking for places where there are diverse local economies that have character of their own, that have the store owner who lives in the community and lends his or her own character to their business. I think that plays a large role in why people like Great Barrington. It has flavor. It has its own local flavor. It's not like what they call in England, they call them cookie cutter towns where everything is just a box store or a chain. And so here in Great Barrington, we have very few chains. So every place we have a local donut shop and um, they have their own flavors. They have their own branding and, you know, it's much more personable experience to go and get your donuts there than it is to get it at Dunkin' Donuts. So I think that might be why tourists are attracted to those places. It's all these things that are kind of hip right now, which, you know, is kind of gross because it's it's the lifestyle there, but it's this like farm to table and supporting local and it's got shops and restaurants and it feels cosmopolitan. Mm-hmm. while at the same time maintaining its own unique identity. And it's also where all those hip things came from, I'd like to, to note. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, because the farm-to-table movement, a lot of people argue, and I would, I would argue, has pretty strong roots here because we have our um, the first community-supported agriculture farm was started in South Egremont. It's called Indian Line Farm. 
and it was started in the mid-1980s by Robin Vanen, who's on our 10 Berkshire note. And that is now a model that has been used all through the world and is a way for people in a community to support a local farmer because they want to have access to local food. They want their local farmer to have make be able to make a living growing local food. So people are willing to put up money at the beginning of the season and buy a share of the produce. And that's a really different concept for a business model because the consumer is sharing in the risk and the rewards of that business when they do that. They, they're willing because of their relationship with the farmer, with the land, with the food that they want to eat, they're willing to take the risk of maybe a really bad tomato year or maybe a really bad basil year where they might get no tomatoes or no basil, but they'll get plenty of zucchini and kohlrabi and carrots. So that, that model started here in the Berkshires, and that has been a, interesting to see how that plays out in supporting local farming around the country and even around the world. And then one of our farmers who's growing greens in, in Sheffield, Mass., which is right next to Great Barrington, Ted Dobson's Equinox Farm, started just about the same time that Robin Benen's Indian Line Farm started. And he was one of the early people to go around and direct market to restaurants and to supermarkets with his greens. And he was growing mescaline mix, um, which nobody, <laughs> nobody knew what that was. And baby greens, he found, were a really good business model because they turned over quickly and you could harvest and then replant and harvest and replant really quickly many times through this summer. But he went around and formed relationships with chefs in the Berkshires and then in Boston and New York and sold his greens directly to them, which is something that people were not doing in the early 80s. That also started here or, you know, has really long history here in the Berkshires. And I think that it's been, we're lucky because we're not too far from New York, not too far from Boston. So we have a lot of good influences from the cities, but we also, and we have markets in the cities, but we also have great agricultural land and have done a good job of preserving it and using it and not letting it be ruined or, or developed away, I guess. Yeah. And I, what's so cool about it to me is this, like, you know, everyone everywhere is like community, community, community. Like it almost doesn't sound like a word anymore, mm-hmm. but here with this program, like people are saying community and they're putting their money where their mouth is. Yeah. <laughs> well, we feature a different Berkshire's business every month and we interview them on the radio and then uh, write a story based on the interview. And so you're kind of quoting them when you say that because I ask businesses, why did they take Berkshire's? And usually the answer is because they want to show how they're a part of the community or they want to be tied in with the community in a stronger way. Or often it actually is a symbolic reason that they want to take part in Berkshire's, even though there are kind of tangible reasons to take part. But the first thing off the top of people's heads is usually because they're a part of the community and they want to be a part of this program. And then the first person I ever interviewed, actually, he said, this is a way to put your money where your mouth is. (laughs) And we talk, he says, we talked, we talk a lot about buying local. This is a way to put your money where your mouth is. And it pushes you beyond talking about it and makes you think about how you can do more of it. And that's kind of where we're going 
next with Berkshires? Because as you said, buy local is trendy and it's like a catchphrase now, um, along with community, it's getting tired maybe. And so, okay, we all know we should be buying local, but there's only so much you can buy local. How do we go beyond what already exists and then help to start fostering the new businesses, the new products that we want to see made here? So that's kind of where we're going next. And um, we're use, we want to use Berkshires as a tool to help support new community businesses. I almost wonder if on the flip side of that, have other communities have come to you and used you as a model to kind of support their own local currencies? Yes. Uh, we get so many inquiries every week from different places around the world asking about how Berkshires work and how we started. And we're constantly replying and in conversation with people from around the world or just from people who are interested and want to collect Berkshires. And um, we, we don't really sell to collectors at all, but we do have an information packet that we sell. It's, it's interesting to see how that has also, the interest in local currencies has increased in Europe because of the euro. There are huge, there's huge blossoming of local currencies uh, because I think people are realizing that they don't, that the euro doesn't meet all their needs and that they need some tools that are more local and can be more responsive to the local conditions. So uh, there are many, many local currencies happening in Europe. And then there are some in the U.S. and some of them are based directly on, on Berkshires and the model that we've created here, which works really, it's really important to note that Berkshires is partners with our local banks. We're really lucky in the Berkshires to have community banks still. And so we work with four different community banks and they serve as the exchange points. So they have Berkshires in their vaults. And if you go with your dollars in hand, you can change your dollars into Berkshires at those banks. There's, there's 16 branches of those four different banks that serve as exchange points. So 95 cents will get you one Berkshire, $95 will get you 100 Berkshires, and then you can spend them at any of the participating businesses as if they were dollars. So 100, something that costs $100, you could spend 100 Berkshires on. So you, you're, if, if you're the one who goes and gets your Berkshires, you get a 5% discount or you get 5% added buying power. You must be really proud, just not, <laughs> not only for the work, but I think creating a financial and an emotional investment in the success of the people around you. Yes. I think we are really lucky here to have such a great culture of support for local businesses. And, and I think that's important. There's, and that's why the design of Berkshires is, is really important to us and why we're really proud of it. Cause it, it creates this larger vision and a culture of support for each other and for the local businesses here. And I think that's something that a lot of places don't have. And we're pretty lucky and proud to have it here. And I think it's pretty attractive too. So we like to share it and we like people to come and learn about it. And you can do that just by coming up and getting Berkshires. After talking to Alice, I wanted to find a local business owner to talk to them about their participation in the Berkshire program, which gave me the perfect excuse to talk to Abby and Andy. They run One Mercantile in downtown Great Barrington, 
which is honestly one of the best houseware stores I've ever been in. It's it's a pretty amazing program. I mean, it's pretty cool that we have our own little currency for we have our own currency for Berkshire County, which is you know encouraging trade among community, and that's a huge thing in our areas. You know, the community there is. There's a lot of outside influences. We get a lot of tourists that come to the area, but when it boils down to it, it's still a very small community. And there's always been, in my memory of living here, a a big sense of community here. Um, People working together and helping each other out in bad times. And I think Berkshire's, for for business-wise, you know, has just helped to strengthen that in the sense that when we take Berkshires in our store, we can then use them to pay local suppliers to provide us with goods for our store, whether it's product that we're going to sell or whether it's printing posters or going and getting coffee around the corner at the coffee shop. You know, our neighbors, we have a restaurant next to us. to go to our local small business instead of Dunkin' Donuts or Subway for lunch. Exactly. Who don't accept Berkshire. So, yeah, and... uh, Yeah, community-wise, you know, we see... uh, We have Castle Street Cafe next door to us, a restaurant that's our neighbors, and we see him trading with... You know, we see the local farmer's trucks pull up to the door of his restaurant, and they trade, and they use Berkshire. So they're keeping it... You know, it's keeping things in the community. It's keeping... um, it's keeping restaurants buying local products from farmers. It's keeping residents buying their groceries from the, the co-op market in town instead of maybe buying from the chain that's down the road. Yeah, I think it just incur- you know, makes people think about where their money is going and who they're supporting in the community. And it's yeah. been a great program. It's, I believe, going on 10 years. But I think it's just recently gaining momentum, which is really exciting. I think Alice is doing a lot Mm -hmm. for it. And um, there's a lot more people participating. So there's a lot more you can, you know, it used to be be that you'd get it and you'd be like, well, we want to support it, but it's not really working. And so now we have to take these these Berkshires. Well, Um, and it was limited to where you could spend them, but the... They've done a really good job of making, you know, of growing the amount of places that you can use them in. So it really, it's very easy to spend them now between grocery stores and restaurants and coffee shops and local producers and farmers. Yeah, it's a very cool thing. Well, and I imagine in a place that so thrives on tourism that it kind of strengthens your community and brings your community closer together. It does. It also has a drawback in that um, anyone can go get Berkshire, which also means that people from out of town come in and get a whole bunch of Berkshires and then spend it around town, which is a little bit tough, you know, especially when they're doing big purchases. It just sort of, I mean, it's not as hard anymore. When we really, when it was hard to use them, it was more difficult, but... But yeah, it strengthened. I think it strengthened the community. And yeah. Yeah, it's weird. I guess like having outsiders participating kind of dilutes the ethos of the experience. <laughs> I 
mean, they're very interested in them, which is kind of cool too, though. I mean, the, you know, tourists come in and they find out about them and they will sometimes ask us like, can we see some, you have some that we can look at. Um, but when it's, when it's less of a, um, we want to support the area and more, we want 5% off of our purchase. (laughs) That's where it gets a little frustrating. It's a very interesting mixture. I got to say there's there's a lot of people who have grown up in the area. You know, since we've been here our whole lives, we know a lot of the local people. Um, there's some old, old families here. You know, there's people who have lived here forever. Tourists would come here, spend the weekend, stay at a hotel, stay at an inn, bed and breakfast, uh, head back to the city. So we'd see this Friday to Sunday. Um influx of uh you know tourists in the area now a lot of them have bought homes up here starting in the 90s i would say so there's this whole group of second homeowners that have become part of the community because they own homes here they're not always here of course because they have you know they're in the city or they're in they're somewhere else where there's it was was usually an older crowd who had made their money and Mm -hmm. wanted to get out of the city i feel like recently we are getting um an interesting community of young new yorkers who want to come out and with their families and actually live full-time we've sort of seen a lot of younger people coming through Recently, in Great Barrington and expanding outside of Great Barrington, there's a lot of cool things going on here. There's a lot of culture here. There's a lot of history here. There's good schools. There's really beautiful areas to live. Hiking Um, and walking and lakes and mm -hmm. rivers and yeah. I mean, we're lucky. We have beautiful area. We have the Appalachian Trail comes through here. We have. You know, it's not the kind of town where you're going to come here and be out on the streets at night. There's not going to be a nightclub open or anything. (laughs) You know, everything shuts down at 6 o'clock at night except for the restaurants. But I think for younger people, yeah, seeing the culture and also, you know, maybe having some sort of history of coming to the area. Like there's a lot of um, there's a lot of summer camps in the area. There's a lot of maybe their grandparents had a summer home here and they visited, you know, as younger kids. We have a early college here of Simon's Rock. That brings a lot of different people in. Yeah, which uh, they start at 16, so it brings in younger people, and they live here, you know, throughout the school year, so they become familiar with the community, um, and some of them stay because of it. But, I mean, we also, so we have some friends who have come here to raise their kids, which we're seeing more and more, and then we have had friends who came out to give it a go, and it's, I have some friends who are heading back to Boston because they just couldn't find much here. I mean, I, when I was growing up, I always knew that I wanted to leave and, and go elsewhere, but I wanted to come back here to have a family. Yeah. I think a lot of people feel that way. Some of them make it back. Some of them don't. I spent the week leading up to our trip in an absolute panic. I was certain we were going to get up there and there was going to be no house to speak of or we couldn't get in or it wasn't even going to be owned by anyone renting it out. 
I didn't know whether to tell people. I didn't know what I was supposed to do. And then the day before we were supposed to leave, the property owner, after weeks of silence, finally reached out with access information. But even then, even after finding out all the stuff about him, I just couldn't shake that we were about to get screwed. The whole drive up, I worried and I wondered what was I going to say? Where were we going to stay? And then even when we pulled up to the house, the house that we saw in the ad, the house that we paid for and were able to get in, I still just felt like there was no way this guy wasn't on the up and up. And it made me think a lot. That for all this man has done, maybe this was his way of paying back his debt to society. But because of all that he's done, it makes it so much harder because no one trusts him. At what point do we forgive the people who've never even done anything to us? I don't know, it's just food for thought, I guess. Our stay in the Berkshires was amazing. Our stay at the estate was amazing. We went to the Norman Rockwell Museum. We ate at some of those farm-to-table restaurants. We relaxed. We enjoyed the silence. And that's when it hit me. I recently read that more kids these days are being raised in urban areas than are not. Which is so strange to me. I grew up in the 80s and everyone I knew grew up in small towns. We didn't move to cities till we became adults. And it hit me that first night out in the estate, all my friends out from the city, we walked outside and just relished in the silence. And then we looked up and marveled over stars like we hadn't seen them in years. That's what the Berkshires is to me. It's beyond the scope of charming and cosmopolitan and community-based. It's a place where you can kind of relive your childhood and revisit the things you haven't experienced in years. And also, really fucking good farm-to-table food. This season on Our Americana. I'm watching this guy walk up to my mom's car. It was warm outside, so the, her window was rolled down. And um, he walks up to the driver's side of the car, and he was peering in the car. And we've had problems with uh, break-ins. Um, so I walked outside, and I started yelling at him. I'm like, what are you doing to this car? This is not your car. So he had his hands on top of the the roof and he was literally like his head was halfway in the window as soon as I said something to him I startled the heck out of him and as soon as I said something to him he started scurrying up the hill well he wasn't moving very fast and I continued to walk toward him asking him what he's doing or why you know why are you looking in this car and he kept putting his hands up he wouldn't say anything he kept putting his hands up like um like he didn't mean any harm, you know? And he he finally looked at me and he goes, I, I'm just trying to help. And it it just didn't, the whole situation didn't make sense. It was, it was quite odd. And he goes, I, I don't want any problems. Just, just go look. Just go look. And as soon as he said that, I realized what was going on. 
I'm like, oh my gosh, that's Benny. Because it's not the first time my mom has gotten money from Benny. Um, and at that time, there was all the stories going around the neighborhood and the city about Benny and his $100 bills. He's trying to he was trying to communicate with us somehow, and it was obviously frustrating to him not to be able to. He would do all kinds of things, uh, splashing his, uh, uh, his 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 fins to make noise on the water, all this sort of stuff, and squeaking, making all kinds of noises. And one of the things that we thought eventually, as a sort of principle in these situations or any situations with animals, is try to listen to what they're asking for and try to get a sense of what they're really asking for. Because in, in most cases, what wild animals need from us is a distance. They don't want us nearby. Most of the time, they really don't want us nearby. So when an animal comes up to us and needs something, we should try to pay attention to what it is that the animal is asking for. And that question was not difficult with Luna. He really wanted contact. He, he you know, we, we saw pictures of him wanting his tongue scratched. Uh, he would rub up against the boat. He would, he would welcome contact when he, when he wanted it. Um, and he wanted eye contact. He wanted all of these social connections. And with the little town of Gold River, the people there sort of instinctively, well, this is just like all the rest of us that are stuck out here in this, in this very distant spot without a whole big city around us to provide, uh, you know, multiple people to see. We all need this connection. So it's no different from any of the rest of us. And I think that's to a large degree, what he was asking for. So in these odd situations where an animal ask, actually needs something from you, that's when you respond. I knew that this trip was going to happen because I felt numb to my life. And I knew that I wanted to feel alive. And even if that was hardship, I wanted to feel that. And I have found my life filled with so much so many emotions that I've never that I never felt sitting at my desk. I'm not good at sitting still and I'm not good at sitting within a feeling that is uncomfortable. And I think that that is a huge issue for so many people is that it's not that we numb ourselves, but we kind of numb ourselves with stimulation. When I was living in Seattle, I was constantly running around, you know, going to see all my friends and you know, see my family and constantly being booked, you know, with the littlest things. And I was really kind of numbing myself to feeling, you know, something not good. And on this trip, I've really had to learn that there are going to be moments every day that I feel really alone and I feel really sad that I'm not sharing this trip with someone, but that sitting within those moments kind of makes the rest of it all worth it. And I've really been able to find a sense of peace and I'm still working on it. You know, like I still call my friends like crying every once in a while. <laughs> and, um, but I think the biggest like lesson I've learned is that there's a big difference between, you know, feeling sad, being sad and kind of giving into those emotions and just hopefully learning that just cause it doesn't, feel good doesn't mean that it's not okay we definitely we don't have any police we don't have a mayor we don't have anything we're unincorporated little town 
Yeah, we do have a group of people that that do have walkie-talkies, and if something's out of line or we see something that we all need to know about, then, you know, we have ways of communicating with each other. I mean, I guess it's just, you know, I'm trying to understand, like, one day you're a sleepy, quiet village in the middle of nowhere that no one's ever heard of, and... And then the next day, you're the epicenter for a search for a missing girl. And that, but ten years later, like that's part of your economy. You know, ten years later, people are still trying to find this girl. People are up there every week looking for this girl, recording podcasts about this girl. Like CNN's there, and Dateline is there, and investigative discoveries. There. Like I, like how do you live a normal life after that? Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.